0: Welcome, Welcome, travelers. travelers. We're aware that your journey
1: was difficult, but prepare to have your questions questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern.
0: Modern.
2: (laughs) And welcome back to Masters of Modern. I'm your host, Alex Kessler.
0: And I'm Ben Bateman, the other host of the podcast. (laughs) Uh, Ben is actually not here.
2: (laughs) Ben is in Seattle, so we're having him Skype in i'm all alone yeah there was
0: there was a pause there there's a pause there introducing myself because i was unscrewing the cap of diet pepsi and then drinking a sip and i was supposed to introduce myself and i swallowed and then i had that awkward introduction
2: it's the right. true story guys plus like the the time delay was a little awkward so if i'm randomly talking over people because i think they're not talking and but then ben starts talking mid my sentence it's because there's a time delay and that's how the internet works and we apologize <laughs> um,
0: should be okay should be okay yeah, be we have fine. an exciting episode today we have uh we have some really cool stuff to talk about we have some previews from Origins that are awesome, and then we have a sweet deck tech with a super sweet deck.
2: Yeah, so we actually, he'll be guesting on a little bit later in the podcast, uh, Zach Elsick, who uh, just top 15, 15 placed uh, GP Charlotte with the sweet, like, single artifact, mill deck, prison deck that did we will we'll, we'll kind of break down what that deck does before he comes on in a little bit. And then... Uh, we got spoiled every one of the five double-faced Planeswalker cards for Magic Origins. Plus, we haven't really discussed all of the new changes to, like, the keywords and evergreen words. So, we're going to talk about that real quick, and then, uh, we will, you know, do the podcast. (laughs) Super, super cool. Yeah, yeah. There's
0: definitely some pretty, uh, pretty wild spoilers to talk about, so I'm excited for that.
2: Yep. Uh, and as always, remember to tweet at us, like, right now, um... We're waiting for it. Actually, you know, go to your Twitter. We'll, we'll wait. Uh, the Twitter is at the MMCast. Uh, and we love interacting with you guys. So, you know, tell us what you think. Tell us if we're wrong blatantly about something. Uh, make sure to tweet at Zach if you think his deck is sweet. And uh, all those good things. Also, rate us on iTunes. It's important. The more stars we have... I can. I, we actually get those stars in the mail, and we can trade them in for iTunes bucks that aren't real. That's a completely made-up system. It's not
0: <laughs> true. The stars are redeemable on PukaTrade for us to build our modern collections.
2: Right, right, right. For every 10,000 stars, we can buy a basic island. It's fantastic. One island at a time. Um, all right. So I guess first let's get into the uh, the evergreen keyword changes. Um the, the three big ones are there are three new key, uh, words added to the, the whole list of Evergreen. For those who don't know, Evergreen keywords are the keywords that are available every set. So no matter where we are, every single year, every single month, these abilities are available to be used. So an example would be trample, haste, vigilance, and examples that aren't would be something like raid or morph or delve.
0: Or like Megamorph.
2: Even. Yeah, Megamorph is unavailable. <laughs> uh, the the <laughs> new one added is uh, Menace. Menace is kind of an ability that they've been putting on a lot of cards forever, anyways. Which is the uh, a creature can only be blocked if, by two or more creatures. Um,
0: so traditionally, a red ability, usually yeah. on aggressive creatures.
2: I think it was originally on War Drums or Goblin War Drums.
0: Yeah, that sounds right. And then it's been on. There's it's been on a whole bunch of cards. So a bunch mostly red cards though.
2: I mean, I, I don't know if people on the internet know this, but I casually do some game design and uh, it's really easy to like understand, especially for newer players. It like definitely does exactly what it sounds like it does. Um, the other edition, Prowess. Uh, prowess is the mechanic for the Jess Guy, which kind of makes it feel like the Jess Guy got, you know, screwed over and didn't get their own cool mechanic. But uh, basically Wizards has said for a long time that they've been looking for a blue combat mechanic, something comparable to Death Touch and vigilance and haste that all the other colors kind of get and they like previously it was either like unblockability in some way so flying unblockable which is too powerful because evasion on big giant monsters is often too good or it ends up being like hexproof which is also too strong of an ability which you'll notice a lot of times like in those cycles like frost titan has like some weird pseudo hexproof that's kind of lame um this is their answer to that. Prowess now allows them to just kind of make, oh, this 6-6 six, six cycle of giants. Well, one of them has prowess, so it gets bigger if you cast spells. Great. It also allows red and blue to have kind of that crossover. Um, that
0: Which just, is that whole, that's that whole like spell-driven, is it sort of feeling like... Yeah, I mean, prowess fits well with that.
2: Right. Wizard seems to like having at least one keyword per color combination that kind of crosses over. So, like, black and white have lifelink uh red and green have trample now they also you know black red now has menace um which replaces one of the keywords they actually got rid of and then the last keyword which i think is so black and blue are now the main mechanic that don't have like kind of a shared keyword and i think scry might end up being kind of filling that void but scry scry is now evergreen they realized i think after theros block that just like it does too many good things to a like a standard environment, that it doesn't make sense for them to just not have it available to them forever.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think Sky's great. I mean, who who doesn't like every Magic player likes to be able to like play the strategy they want and also also shave the variance of their draws. Like, right. I mean, that's, that's why it's, that's why it's a great mechanic. It's, it's it's well designed. It's positive that every color can have it. Like, I, yeah, I think it's great.
2: Yeah, I definitely think it means that we're going to see a lot of reprints of the temples from Theros block. I think those will just keep seeing consistently in the future <laughs> especially because yeah, if you look well, at their think, names they're like pretty pretty neutral and a temple can kind of be on any plane
0: yeah i think that's that's fair it's a, uh, it's definitely yeah yeah I, I well a lot of pros talked about the temples as like they want to play like as many temples as they can sort of kind of a thing um just because yeah scrying off lands is fantastic right it's funny, Benalia, it's funny that new banalia it's funny that new banalia back in standard the the mono white temple scry land the original one right uh in future sight never never really saw play
2: i think it's i think scry is a especially back in those days when it was first kind of like showed up was a really hard mechanic to really get how possibly good it could be
0: sure sure well it's also a tapped land that's mono colored it's not as good
2: so i mean right right you don't get the added bonus of just fixing all of the colors you need um so with those they actually also got rid of three or 2.5 abilities i guess i should say they got rid of intimidation which is i think menace is just replacing they're giving black and red a new and probably and probably a little bit of green uh a new version of evasion that's more relevant always intimidation was always so swingy um which is also why i think they're also getting rid of landwalk and they've said for a while now on all of the social media that landwalk is just their least favorite of the mechanics they have it's just like
0: it's kind of dumb. It doesn't yeah. really make a lot of sense. It's
2: either too good or not good at all. So you can't really balance a creature with landwalk, which means they'd only put it on bad creatures, and it's kind of flavorful, but not in a way that's interesting. Yeah, I definitely think it's not a, a the world is not sad to see landwalk go, other than maybe for pure nostalgia reasons. Well, yeah. There's I mean,
0: there's just a handful of there's just a handful of like it's kind of like if you look at magic now as this, this constantly evolving perfect puzzle of a hundred pieces and you're just constantly sort of like shaving edges and making a new piece or two, but like the hundred always fit together perfectly. Like the, those old abilities like protection and land walk, they're these like really, really odd pieces that you can only sort of jam into that hundred in very, very specific corners. Like you right. can't really move them around the puzzles very well. They don't, they don't flow in the same way right and that's the problem with those that's the problem with those mechanics and that's and as we move forward it's sad in some ways to see when those things go because you do want to keep the history of the game and and it is important to remember that magic is 20 years old and but one of the reasons some we of that play modern, matters a lot
2: it, one of the reasons we play modern is like they're never really gone i mean it's not like every land walk card it doesn't exist anymore an intimidate card is like banned from every format it's just They're not going to make new ones. Like, what's cool about Magic versus other games is when they do these kind of tweaks uh, to what they're still supporting, it doesn't get rid of the history of the game. The game, the history is still playable. It's not like in Destiny or League of Legends when they're like, oh, we had to nerf Ziggs because he was too good, or we had to, you know, we had to get rid of this specific gun in the game because it's too good. Well, that gun's gone. I'm never playing with that gun again. Yeah, so, like, like Magic Magic is always backwards compatible. It's right, cool. which is pretty sweet. Um, and you mentioned it earlier, but we didn't mention it here. Uh, protection is the 0.5 of the evergreen keywords going away. So it's now deciduous, deciduous, I think is how you pronounce it, which means it's kind of in the same boat as hybrid, which means they always have access to it. Any set can use it, but the reason has to be pretty good, and it's not going to be something you see every single set, unlike Menace and now Prowess and Scry and Trample, Haste, etc., so it's not gone-gone. It's not like Landwalk Intimidation where they will no longer be printing cards. Um, but it, it is going to show up less often.
0: All right. Well, let's, let's move on from the, like, basic Wizards of the Coast article stuff. And let's get into exciting stuff. There's five new Planeswalkers that got to Yeah,
2: the world. yeah, yeah. And so I, I think this, as the cycle of Planeswalkers go, is probably one of the stronger ones, interesting enough. Like, the more I think about it, the more I think people are underrating some or maybe thinking they're not as good as they may seem. Like almost... Yeah,
0: I mean, they're definitely pretty freaking cool.
2: Right. Oh, they're definitely sweet. So they're kind of, so we got each of them, and they're, they kind of explain what Wizards is doing. Uh, the two-sided mechanic, which we saw originally in Innistrad, which lets a card have two faces, they're printing five Planeswalkers, each with a double face. Um, the Planeswalkers are Gideon, uh, Jace, Liliana, Chandra, and Nissa, who are kind of their, like, their monocolor faces of each, each color. They're Justice League. With, like, the white always cycling between Gideon, uh, a Johnny who's now pretty much a gold card, I think, in their minds. And, old, like, an old Obi-Wan-like character. And um, Elsbeth, who, as far as I know, is, is dead. Or, like, in the underworld. So dead in a world where you're not dead? It's complicated. Sure, yeah. yeah you're talking story man. now. Let's... yeah, yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> um, so I guess the first <laughs> one I want to talk about, which uh, I think might be the most powerful is Gideon or otherwise known as Kithion Hero of Akros. He's one white for 2/1. Uh, at the beginning of com at the end of combat if he attacks with two or more uh at least two creatures, other creatures, he- you can flip him over. And he has the other ability of two white, uh he can be indestructible in ten- until until of turn. Um so just before you even get to the Planeswalker, a one mana Two one that can be indestructible and you attack is probably playable, standard for sure, and maybe even in modern to a certain extent. There's
0: definitely... I mean, there was discussions that we were having this whole week leading up to the PPTQs about, like, okay, there's a lot of powerful multicolor decks and, like, land destruction is a thing. So if you're going to play a land destruction strategy, what are the best one-drop creatures that you could evolve as the game went on if you were stifling your opponent's resources? And there was a whole discussion about this going on. Hilariously enough, this was spoiled... After the weekend, this is exactly the kind of card you're talking about. Right. It's precisely the kind of card you would want to play on turn one of a deck like that, where turn one is 2-1, and turns two and three are like stifling sort of land destruction spells. By the time you take over, now you have a Planeswalker. It seems pretty good to
2: me. Right. And and so now getting into the Planeswalker, um, the Planeswalker card's abilities... So once it flips, it comes in with three loyalty. Uh, the way they've worked it is that they actually get exiled. So the rules mechanic, it leaves play and it comes back as a Planeswalker. It has a plus two... Up to one target creature, an opponent controls attacks Gideon during its controller's next attack step, if able. So, the way that, like, Gideon's always been about this. Gideon, you know, he's a little smaller in this one. He's cheaper, so he can't do all of their creatures attack him. But he can make one attack happen to him instead of you, which is really good. And he gets the five loyalty that turn, which is also pretty strong. Uh, the which is nuts, because th- he
0: comes down on one. So, I mean, in theory, you could cheat this guy into play... I mean, you could cheat. You could cheat Flip Gideon into play pretty fast. Like turn right. three is obviously pretty, pretty like standard. Um, but I'm sure there are ways to cheat it and go even faster than that.
2: Right. And then the next one, which is until in a turn, you can make target creature indestructible and untap that creature, is also a way to be defensive. He's so defensive for someone who kind of starts aggressive, which is really interesting. And what's good about that, that ability is you either get to choose, okay. I'm going to sacrifice my Gideon because I don't have the other creature or I'm going to make one of my other creatures that I just attacked with because Kith, the way Kithion works, the the creature side, you have to have two other creatures. So you attack and then you untap one of the guys you attacked with and make him indestructible and you can defend Gideon and yourself until next turn. So it definitely, it definitely on the upswing really helps to kind of protect you, which is one of the good signs of a good Planeswalker. And then his last yeah, yeah, ability, yeah. which is a zero ability, um, which Gideon always has. Gideon's always been about I don't have an ultimate, but I, instead of an ultimate, I have a zero that I can become my own creature. So, he becomes a 4-4 indestructible, uh, and then you prevent all damage that gets done to it. So, like, he's, like, an undefeatable 4-4 four, four when you need it. So, he, like, is a 2-1 that you swing with your three, you know, like, on turn two, you play tokens, maybe. Uh, on turn three, you swing, you flip it, you get to protect him, and then the next turn, you get a 4-4. Four, four. Seems pretty ridiculously strong. Yeah,
0: it seems very very good. Like it definitely will be in standard. I mean, it is to, to be noted, he he is
2: legendary on, on both sides. He's not
0: like a soldier who becomes Gideon. He is still a character who flips, so you can't True. you can max out on him, but you can't copy of him. Yes, but you so, could also then,
2: have one of him and then one flipped Gideon and then just not, you know, like keep them separate. You can have yeah, you can have uh, two of them in play at the same time. You just can't have them both be on the same side. Right.
0: Well, but it's not a may ability. On on Kith- Kithion, he has to flip. So. Right, but
2: you could choose not to attack with him if you're attacking with three creatures. True. True. All right, let's move on to Jace. Yeah. So Jace the uh, Vern's Prodigy. It's a uh, it's a it's he's a Murfolk Murfolk Looter. Blue, colorless, uh, zero two that you can tap to draw a card, and then discard a card. If you have five or more cards in the graveyard, you flip them into his Planeswalker side. This card is. Interesting because I do think Merfolk looter in general is on the edge of playability in every format it exists in. That ability right. is pretty strong and as a two drop is a pretty good pretty good cost for what you're getting for it. So worst case scenario, you are getting this looter, and then when he flips, people are kind of bemoaning because his ultimate isn't very good, which is
1: yeah, whenever you cast nine, a spell
2: Yeah, whenever you cast a spell they mill. But I often say that ultimates don't matter a lot of the time it's not the way you should judge a card i do think his plus one is an okay protective spell but as we've seen with jace uh architect of thought the ability to just make one of your opponent's creatures a little bit smaller could be the difference and then snapcaster mage for his minus three is really good like this is a two yeah, card yeah. that gets a spell into your graveyard that you can then snap- snapcaster mage back
0: yeah, it's uh, it's it's really good. I mean, w- one thing that's interesting uh, about this card, from just if you follow our podcast, you know that there are discussions we frequently have about Grand Architect and what blue two-drop <laughs> you could be playing to make Architect better. I, I mean, look, not unfounded here.
2: No, yeah, no, Luter this is a
0: two-drop. This is a really powerful blue two-drop. And Murfolk Looter in the standard version of the Architect deck was the two-drop that Brad Nelson played, and it wasn't great. He was always said it was the worst card in the deck. Right. this guy curves into architect and then loots and then potentially flips if you're playing probably some deck full of like fetch lands Gitaxian probes thought scours and snapcaster mages, right. which you probably are doing if you're playing blue he probably flips on turn three so something to think about
2: right no i mean i, I definitely think he could see play there's enough like there are a few strategies out there that all want to have A merfolk looter but like there hasn't been one that kind of paid it off in the end and this one does do that because getting just that flashback ability and then making one of their creatures smaller seems decent um next we have liliana heretic healer this is the first one this has been out for a while we maybe even talked about it before but it's a two three with lifelink and then whenever another non-token creature dies you you flip her um and if you do you get to put a two two zombie creature token onto the battlefield so she kind of like generates carded you know, you get the token and you get Liliana. So she kinda has like a weird additional ability. And Vampire Nighthawk, which was a two three lifelink death touch, has always been pretty good. So a two three lifelink isn't the worst. Um, when you get... Yeah,
0: especially if you yeah, you have the ability to get another two out of it, especially. Right.
2: And then when you go to her planeswalker side, she's plus two, each player discards a card. You know, Liliana has been doing that forever. Um and then for minus X, you may uh, return target non-legendary creature card with converted mana cost X from your graveyard to play. So she's a reanimate. And important to notice is that her plus is a plus two. So she starts after the first turn as a five uh, five loyalty planeswalker. And you get a 2-2 token to protect her. And then on your next turn, you can get like Rhino back in the play or in standard Rhino back <laughs> in the play. Um, and then she has an emblem, whenever a creature dies, return to the battlefield under your control at the beginning of the next end step. The one issue I think I have with Liliana over the other Planeswalkers is I don't think she's better than Liliana the Veil. Vale. I think she's just, I would rather be playing Liliana the Veil vale almost every single time.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I would totally agree. It is sweet that her her discard card is a plus two instead of a plus
2: one, but... True. And I think um, maybe she's playing modern and the best deck is Abzan Collected Company decks because... She they can get her off of Collected Company. Something they're not like, this is the first Planeswalker that you can get with cards that let you get creatures. And she kind of plays really well in that plan because you can get her, sack something with Viscera Seer, flip her, get a zombie, and you can reanimate um, a Kitchen Finks that turn. Seems pretty sweet.
0: Yeah, that sounds that sounds real awesome. I'm, I'm on board.
2: So actually, now that I've said this, I think straight up uh, one or two for sure go into collected company decks i think just that statement she kind of is like your additional collected company she kind of eternal witnesses for you if you need to she does so many powerful things in that deck that i can't imagine not seeing play
0: yeah she'll see play i mean people will try all out I, I love the design space i, I think it's really cool I, right I think we're gonna see a lot of really fun a lot of really fun ideas on a lighter note bellows lizard is being reprinted in the set
2: true <laughs> 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 let's talk about chandra all right um chandra is a two-two. Uh for 3 one color is two red. Um whenever you cast a red spell, you may untap Chandra and then uh you can tap her to ping something. So already a decent card and I think this is, she lives and dies on how good that ability is. No,
0: it's it's it, the the ping is to target player. It's not something.
2: Oh, okay. Oh, not as good. Yeah, you should read cards. Yeah. Um, and then but if she does three or more damage that turn, so you could say block a one one and then ding or attack a player, then play a spell and then ping them. You flip her. And then her plus one is she two damage to target player. Her minus two is she does two damage to target creature. And then if you ultimate her, you basically just win.
0: <laughs> Six damage each opponent, each player dealt damage this way, gets number three. Yeah, I
2: mean I mean hey, but by the time you, by the time you get to seven from her plus, she'd have taken six damage plus the three damage that you had to have dealt with her as a creature so that's nine plus six that means they're like they've taken 17 damage at that point and that's if you have done nothing yet no other damage in a red deck between turn three and turn seven (laughs) it's pretty yeah it definitely
0: seems like yeah
2: i like maybe the other but like anti-life gain sure uh I don't see this C play modern. I think this might C play some decent play in standard. I think it's a good rabble master replacement once that card leaves the format, if those types of decks are still good. But I don't see it being good in in modern, like even the untap ability.
0: Yeah, I would agree. It doesn't seem very good to me. I'm not very excited about this card.
2: Right. I mean, the art's cool. I like like Arya Stark fighting some some soldiers flipping into i guess sansa stark i don't know uh, <laughs> now last but not least nissa Vastwoodseer. seer um one green two colorless uh you when you Shanters play you get a forest card a basic forest card from your deck and if you have seven or more lands she flips and then her flip side um reveal the top card Plus of the library one. if it's a land put it in the play if it's not you draw it so you draw a card um
0: that's awesome. It comes down 3, so you plus 1 to draw a card.
2: Yep. Uh, make a 4-4 four, four legendary elemental creature. I mean, it has, like, a name, but who cares? And then... Uh, minus 7, untap up
0: to 6, target lands. They become 6-6 six, six elemental creatures. They'll still lands. Uh, right. Probably you win. The,
2: the thing is, is that getting her to flip seems really hard. Getting her to getting to seven lands in general seems difficult especially in modern in standard i actually see her being pretty good because a 2-2 for three that gets you a forest has seen play every single time it's been printed in in standard like that's true generally a card people look to to play especially depending on how mana fixing is so that card will see play in standard but in modern that's probably not good enough on turn two on turn three and it's going to take so long for her, like, nutso I mean, side to get online. But keep in
0: mind. but keep, keep in mind, exactly the same point you made about Collected Company decks. Like, think about the point that you would play Company. Like, often, you know, those decks, like, they play some birds. Some of them, some of them don't. So, like, okay, you hit a 2-2, it gets a land into your hand, you hit another land drop. Now, if they don't get rid of her very quickly, you're a couple turns away from probably flipping and having an insane draw engine. I mean, th- that seems pretty good to me. Like, she's... Yeah, playable and, in that deck.
2: And I guess I do see her... I, yes, but I I mean, like, Liliana, if you compare the power level between the two cards we're talking about, or even if you want to throw Kithion or Gideon into the, the conversation, that's going to be annoying forever that the names are different. But if you throw Gideon into the conversation, like, I'd rather be getting Gideon or Liliana or any of the combo pieces. I think maybe in Scapeshift, I, I think the issue is not necessarily that you get the land. That card could be playable if she flipped at an easier... Ability, but seven land in play is never going to happen in collecting. It might happen, but like in long, drawn out games, that she probably died already. And she is an elf. She is an elf. There was just an elves' company list that won the GP, right? But that deck doesn't need a two, two for three that gets you a forest. That deck needs like as many one drop elves that tap for mana as possible. (laughs) It's
0: true. Yeah, you're right.
2: (laughs) Um, hey, I I think it's standard, 100% playable. I think people are underestimating her in standard. I think in modern, the power level, you're going to lean more towards the Esper colored planeswalkers here. I think uh, Gideon and, and Liliana are just blatantly playable in the format. I think both of them have, like, almost have homes already that exist. And then Jace, uh, depending on if a, you know, how good is he in the dredge decks that are out there? How good is he in the Jace's Architect decks? Or not Jace's Architect. Uh, Grand Architect decks. How good is this looter? That's it on my end for the planeswalkers. Is there anything else you want to kind of say about them before we move on to deck techness? Um, no, I, I think
0: it's really exciting that they're all as cheap as they are. Um, that's the that's like the one thing that I that I will say is it's very difficult to evaluate cards properly without having played with them a fair amount. I think that's like kind of a lesson we've learned, right? Especially in the case of a card like a planeswalker, where there really haven't been all that many printed ever. So, you know, we can we can theorize and postulate over the, the, the power of these cards, but at the end of the day, there hasn't been a whole lot of three-mana or less Planeswalkers ever printed, right?
2: Right. Well, and not to mention, look at, like, Jace, we have a, the second two-drop Planeswalker that seems to be way higher in power level than the last one, and we have our first one-drop Planeswalker. <laughs> I mean... Yeah,
0: in... I mean, they're, they're obviously not straight Planeswalkers. You have to flip them, True. but, like, the fact that you're getting a card of that caliber into play that early in the game... And you know, well, well, as we know with modern, it's a turn. It's a turn four format. Turn two and three are the main bones of like what defines the format. So the fact that you have all these cards, you're going to be playing on those, on those turns, is pretty interesting. So I, I'm, right. I'm excited. I just think I just think modern is going to get a little bit of a shakeup with these
2: cards. Yeah, and, and and something to always think about is anytime they print something this drastically new, like this is brand new territory on so many levels, and like all at least most of them like ooze versatility and we talked about that last week how important that is like that's something to look at the fact that Liliana like is good against burn decks is decent against any deck that's trying to value you out and is like bonkers when you have the way to sack another creature just built into your deck already is something to be looking at the fact that like merfolk looter in general has already been almost playable and this is a merfolk looter attached to a snapcaster mage is pretty fantastic and the fact that you know Two ones for, for one have been playable forever. There was a time in Magic's history that that with a negative ability was too good. And this is one with a positive ability.
0: <laughs> yeah, I agree. I'm stoked. I'm on board.
2: Right. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of my, my opinion on the subject. Uh, moving on, uh, before we uh, get Zach onto the phone, I do want to talk about what his deck was. So, Zach played to the 15th, 15th place um, at GP Charlotte. He's playing... The prison deck using cards, uh, a bunch of one-drop artifact cards, and all they do is almost every single one of them is tap it, and your opponent or you and your opponent both take the top card of their library and put it into your graveyard. And it uses that with the ability of – what's the card called? Lantern of Insight. Lantern of Insight, which is a card that – lets you see the top card of all players' libraries, and all this does is it makes it so you can lock your opponent out. Every single turn Th- before they draw a card, if they're going to draw a card that's a problem for you, you mill it. And and that combined with the card
0: in Staring Bridge, which is an artifact for three mana that states an opponent, uh, creatures with power greater than the number of cards in your hand cannot attack, and because you're usually hellbent, creatures can't attack, and you can make it so they never draw a relevant card again. This combined with some hand disruption, a couple of abrupt decays, uh, and some loose wind conditions in the the way of Academy Ruins and Pyrae Spellbomb makes the deck this, like, weird, like, efficiently cheap-costed and just wonky control deck that people just don't see coming.
2: Yeah, you just, you empty your hand out, and then if you have either Ensnaring Bridge, Lantern and Insight, or both, they, like, basically can't do anything to you for the rest of the game. This is a deck, and we'll talk about this when Zach gets on, but this is a deck that literally, like, your opponents will lose, and they won't know how it happened to them. (laughs) They'll just be yeah, confused and- why they didn't draw a good card the whole time. I mean, they'll know, but, like, it, it's so out of left field. It's, really, it's a really interesting deck. Sam Black actually recorded uh, a series of uh, videos earlier this week and posted them of him playing the deck. And other than the burn matchup, he just kind of locked his opponents out, and he even made a lot of mistakes. So, like, this deck definitely seems like it's powerful. It definitely seems like the control deck players have been looking for, and I'm really excited to hear what Zach has to say about it.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's exciting. Zach's, a, Zach's a, he's been playing Magic for... we." we I'm going to shut up. Uh, let's talk to Zach about the deck.
2: Awesome. All right, so we're on with Zach Elsick. Uh, he is the one that took the Codex Lantern Shredder Mill. Lantern Mill uh, deck to 15th place at GP Charlotte. Uh, how's it going, Zach?
1: It's going well. Yeah, so ever. the name of the deck isn't really set in stone just because it's so weird and not that many people play it and everyone calls it something different. Uh, sure. I settled on Lantern Control. Other names have been like Fate Seal Control or Top Control or some sort of prison variant or even Shop because, you know, it shaves cards off of the top of libraries. Uh, sure. But I had just settled on something simple.
2: So how did you how did you come to this deck? Where did it? I mean, where did it come from? <laughs> or I guess I guess first to explain what the deck does, uh, it uses a combination of the card Lantern of Insight, which allows you to see the top card of each player's library, and then cards like Ghoulcaller's Bell and Codex Shredder to uh, mill the top card of each library one at a time with each tap activation. So this allows you to kind of basically play the game of having always having jace the mind sculptor on your opponent so you can just fate seal them for every turn whatever you need to not to mention let you do a little bit of top actioning on your own side so that you know you get the card you need when you're drawing it and then it kind of survives through cards like ensnaring bridge and abrupt decay to kind of make sure your opponents can't kill you because you run off cards in your hand which works with ensnaring bridge because everything in the deck costs like one mana um so i guess the real question is where did the deck come from
1: so it's just a Collaboration of users over a long period of time, like several years, um, mix or mix of cards, and eventually people kind of they they wanted to toy around with a core of lantern of insight and connecting with your opponent's draw.
2: So we I, I watched Sam Black actually t- test this article on Star City Games earlier this week. Like, what was the look of your opponent's faces when you like just started playing these cards and locking them out of the game? So everything was normal up until and I cast either Lantern of Insight or
1: Ghoul Caller's Bell or Codex Shredder, and and then the opponent would read the card. Um, <laughs> so it got kind of funny because about you know, halfway through the tournament day, I started playing my cards upside down just because it was guaranteed that they were going to pick it up and read it. Um, <laughs> right. And none of them really could figure out what was happening up until you know I landed bridge, and they're like, okay, now you've restricted that I can't attack. I got that. But they kept playing the game. None of them would ever concede because they weren't quite sure what else was going to happen. Um, but right. they didn't realize, you know, they had already lost because your creatures can't attack and you're not going to draw cards. So the game of magic has already ended. Mm-hmm. So they, they were right. shocked, mostly frustrated because, you know, they didn't get to play or interact. Um, and then sideboarding
2: was always difficult for them because most people didn't have a game plan for it. Right. They, they, they don't realize that like, like now I feel like that the deck is kind of out there. There's a little bit more of an understanding that like deck sideboarding the way you'd maybe sideboard against affinity is probably your best plan um but it definitely i can imagine people being like well i'm i'm still drawing cards nothing is happening and then just by the end of it being like i don't even know how i lost i'm just the game ended (laughs) out of nowhere and i didn't do a thing so to to, to be clear
0: here you lock them out and then you win the game you loop pyrite spellbomb with uh with academy ruins is that how you win
1: Um, so the trick is, if you look at the deck list, you try to find out how to win, and you can't really see it in the cards. Um, out of the 15 rounds that I played at Grand Prix Charlotte, I never once killed my opponent with Pyrite Spellbomb. I killed them simply by deleting the rest of the turns of the game, because I wasn't playing Magic, and they weren't playing Magic. And eventually they draw and run out of cards in their deck, and then the game's over. So, so they always
0: draw more than you, because, because, okay, okay. Codex Shredder is target. Callers well, callers that's
1: each. one reason. It would still function the same way with collar's Bell because I play with Academy Runes. So sure, sure, sure. I, I can never actually deck.
0: That makes sense. Okay, cool. So, yeah, it's just the, the most frustrating prison deck ever.
2: Sure. And plus like cards like Surgical Extraction give you some game against combo decks because you can just be like, oh, well, I finally milled your Splinter Twin. Let me just eat that out of your deck so you can't kill me that way. And for the rest of the game, you're kind of done for. Right.
1: Surgical offered um, insurance against the decks that did have outs, you know, like Abrupt Decay, and Pelican's Command and Snapcast or Mainboard, because you kind of, once they did something once, you say, okay, that's not going to happen again, and so I'm pretty safe there, plus it helped in the Tron matchup and, you know, other combo decks, because those, those got a little bit frustrating with outs and their speed.
2: Right, and, and, and I mean, I don't know how often you listen to the podcast, but Ben is obsessed with this one specific card, and I kind of realized it earlier this week, but I'm pretty sure that Spellskite might just be the best card in the format right now. It's so damaging to the cards that are probably your worst matchups, like Noggles, Infect, Burn, all have such a huge problem getting around Spellskite, and playing three in the main deck seems to be a, a very, very, very good answer to a lot of the problems you might run into,
1: absolutely prior to this i was running like green red tron my own special uh variant of it and i main deck two to three Spellskites in tron just because (laughs) i had problems with twin and infect and even burn and Spellskite just sat there and bought you a turn or two right at worst it
2: yeah it stops them for a little bit enough for you to get your cards online or in this case ensnaring bridge
0: <laughs> yeah I've, I've been saying for quite a while that Spellskite is the best card in the format and believe it or not this last weekend i was playing in magic tournaments not grand prix but i was playing in pptqs with my own brew that was also main decking three Spellskites. so i'm, I'm on nice. board with you
2: um so w- w- it what are your, what are the worst matchups for this deck? What, what kind of, when you were seeing across your opponent, what cards were you most afraid of? What cards did you not want to see your opponents playing? And then what are your best matchups?
1: Um, there were only two matchups that I did not want to see. Like out of all the things that I tested and looked at, um, matchups I did not want to see were burn just because game one is frustrating. And game two and three, while it is in my favor with sun droplets and such, it it gets, it could get hairy depending on how they draw, and I don't necessarily like that risk starting the game down. Um, so burn, Burn's one of them, and the other one, which I did not imagine I would play against, and so it's totally fine, would be 8-Rack. And the reason why 8-Rack is painful is because normally I'm hellbent, right. and... The, the problem cards, the ones that I can normally deal with, you know, with like Inquisition or Millionum, their problem cards all cost one mana right? in the form of the rack or Shrieking Affliction, and I only have like Abrupt Decay to deal with it. And so it, the, that can be really tricky navigating around eight rack.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's not like a deck that you see very often show up,
2: though. Right, right. It's so- It's definitely like <laughs> if that's your worst matchup, you're in a pretty good position <laughs> as a deck choice. Other matchups are
1: tricky, like the ones that have a lot of cantrips, but in general, matchups aren't as much of a problem as just what are the odds that the deck I'm playing against, they've, you know, custom decided to play more Maelstrom Pulses than normal or whatever. Like if they just happen to have an opening hand or a a first nine or ten cards that defeat me, then that's what I don't want to see. But that never, ever happens because no one plans for it.
2: Uh, I have to assume that. You know, one major concern with this deck is going to time. Did you have any draws over the, the GP? or And how, how did you kind of mitigate that possible factor?
1: So this, this is a little bit surprising um, in terms of draws. Uh, yes, going to time can be hard. Uh, the way I avoided that was I practiced with the deck a lot. Uh, this, this allowed me to play very quickly because my turns only lasted five seconds or less. Right. Because all I would do is draw the card on top play it and pass the turn there, there wasn't anything else to do my opponent would spend most of the time thinking so maybe if i was playing you know a magic online i would have had a better chance because i would not lose to time but um some of the games took longer because opponents couldn't figure out what to do they you know they were thinking a lot on oh maybe i could do this or maybe i can do that when realistically there wasn't an out for them um sometimes there was but not um i did receive a draw in the 15 rounds, and that was in round one. So, the very first round of the very first day, I played against some Naya, Thalia mixed with Blood Moons, and Burning Tree Shamans. So, game two took way too long to navigate, and we ended up drawing on game three. Right. So I spent a burning, day- wait, burning Tree
0: oh, that- Shaman? Is that the 3 4 for 3 that activated abilities ping you for one?
1: Yeah, that one's really hard to play against.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That's hilarious. <laughs>
1: So, uh, which I, I worked through it by bringing in Sun Droplets, and that just required a lot of writing down. So my turns took longer than normal, but um, that deck gave me a draw, and then I spent the rest of the day in the draw bracket. Uh, most of my opponents had a draw, some of them didn't. So, right. I've always right.
0: been kind of fascinated by the card Sun Droplet. I actually, I really, I've always like read that card and been like, I don't ever seem to be play this, but I wonder if this could actually be good. And then I kind of laugh it off, like I would get laughed off if I tried to play it. How good is that card for you?
1: It is, it is one of the best cards because of the effect that it has of setting your life total to what your life total currently is. If you play it when you're at 13 life, you're going to stay at 13 life.
2: Right. It sense. I mean, it, 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 historically, in cube at least, it's definitely one of my favorite cards to kind of pick if I'm in any type of artifact strategy because it does that exactly. Like As long as I can control my opponent's board, I'm going to make sure my life total doesn't change once I cast it. Right. Um, so uh, what were some of the good, like, what are the matchups that, like, you're just are easy, out of the park, no problem, have zero worries about facing it for the deck?
1: Pretty much any type of control deck is kind of the best thing in the world because of they have so few threats that you care about. Right. Sure, they may have some cantrips here and there, and maybe they would want to kill you with creatures like Vendillion, Click, or Snapcaster. But that's obviously not an answer. And Planeswalkers, if they play them, get nullified by 50 Needle. And so control decks are generally really easy. And this also includes Splinter Twin. Right. Um, my matchup against Splinter Twin is so good that I don't even side anything in, aside from maybe one cage and aside from maybe one welding jar, um, just, just to have it sit there. But
2: Okay. Right. I mean, and like, even decks like Collected Company, I can imagine, are pretty good because their game plan of, at worst, their combo of infinite life doesn't do anything because you're not killing them through life total. You're killing them by them just, like, losing to themselves. And same with Abzan. Same with, same with all these decks that try to win from a perspective of comboing you out in some way. You kind of attack those decks specifically in the unique way of Ensnaring Bridge or life totals don't matter. It's definitely an interesting way to attack the format. Right. Well, the absent company
0: lists, though, would they would they would uh, fist or a Seer, gain infinite life, and then stack Red Cap at the correct like number of draws from the top to get around the mill effects, I would imagine, so they could draw it, right?
2: Not all lists. I mean, yes, that is one of the outs, but a lot of them aren't even playing Red Cap anymore. Interesting. Uh, most okay. of the yeah, ones yeah, that it's... I played
1: against did...
2: And that that deck, while while it sounds like
1: it, it should be fairly reasonable for me with the number of pithy needles, it, it's a little bit hard depending on what they draw. Because if you let them keep a collective company, then any number of weird things could happen to you. Like they hit a witness, which returns your abrupt decay, which then blows this up, and then they combo off with viscerous here, and now they have infinite scry. And if you can't kill viscous here, that means next turn they kill you. Right. So there's there's no way to stop that, and so it can get a little bit hairy. But um, that's why I've since adjusted my sideboard by putting in an extra cage over a Nature's Claim, because I think Cage is really good right now.
2: Right. Oh, definitely. I mean, it, it's the one-stop answer to Snapcaster Mage and Collected Company, which are pretty much two of the major pillars of the format. Um, yep.
0: J- 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 Let me ask you a question. I'm I, I, I'm a player who always has been like on the on the Psychograph scale. I'm a player like a johnny i'm somewhere in the middle i want to win but i have to win by my own sort of terms i don't really don't like playing stock lists would you say that you're you're drawn to playing decks like this in general really sort of like weird off the beaten path decks or you just happened upon this one because you thought it was cool and, and you but you're kind of willing to play whatever
1: uh i prefer the, the generative decks the ones that don't necessarily turn creatures sideways the ones that kind of you know raise an eyebrow Th- those are fu- my favorite because that—that's one of the things I like most about magic—is you can, you can put whatever card you want in a deck of 60 with your sideboard, and then show up to a tournament and try and win. And so if you—if you do something no one's expecting, then obviously you have a huge edge.
0: Would you say I, there, I there's a mean. common theory? There's a common theory out there that uh, you—who who creates the deck doesn't matter. It's who wins with the deck is credited. Um, would you get this like list sort of largely from forums and other people, or would you say that this is?
1: Largely your list. Um, It is not my list. I fine-tuned it. I I found... Okay, so to tell you how I found this list, I was just browsing around because I was looking at, you know, all the weird things you can do in Modern because, you know, I like that sort of thing. And I stumbled across this, um, the idea of, you know, Lantern and Codex Shredder and such. I'm like, okay, that's neat. And then the deck was playing with some mistress Bubbles, and that was also fine. Those worked out well. And the guy who I based it off of, had a YouTube playlist where he just showed replays of him playing the deck, you know, on Moto. And cool thing about replays is they were kind of playing them fast forward, and so you could watch a full game, a full match in like four to six minutes. So I watched about 30 of his games against all of these, all of these decks. Like any deck you can name in Modern, you pretty much played against it, and the win rate was insane. I I just couldn't believe that with an opening hand that he had, you know, he just. There's a bunch of trash that's in your hand. And then he goes on to just win the game after game after game after game. I'm like, okay, maybe something is here with this deck. So I, so I built it up on paper. I took it to about two different events and I spent who knows how many hours testing against the gauntlet that I had. And since then, I fine tuned it to what I have now with the Mox Scopals, which were the newest editions, and Double Spell Bomb and Welding Jars.
0: What do you think was your, like, the card you'd want to see in your opening hand the very most?
1: Uh, definitely Lantern of Insight. Okay, Lantern and is, like, the key. Yeah, so Mulligan decisions are pretty much do you have a Lantern or a Bridge in your hand, or if you have the sideboard cards that you need, that's, that's a good key. Because if you have Lantern, one of the strengths of the deck is you're eventually going to find a Shredder or a ghoul collar Bell, and from there you're drawing three to four cards a turn, not because you physically draw that many cards, but because you get to select what cards you're going to draw, and you quickly assemble whatever you need to beat the, s- the situation. It's very quick.
0: That's very interesting. Yeah, that's such a cool. It's such a cool, wacky way to play Magic.
1: Yeah, it's almost similar to the dredge, right? You dredge cards into the graveyard. That's your hand, more or less. Well, instead, you just kind of select cards off the top of your deck that you want to draw.
2: Right. It's kind of like playing. Um, oh, what's the card called? Uh, future site, just oh yeah, going the entire game, trying to be hell bent. It, it's definitely it reminds me similar to a lot of different legacy lists, all kind of smushed into one giant monster. Um, um I guess what is is modern like your favorite format? Is
0: it
1: the format you play primarily? I like modern a lot, definitely more than standard.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 in the same boat. I'm in the same boat. Completely. Um, so, th- you got 15th place at Grand Prix Charlotte in a pretty diverse top 16. Um, is, this the, is this the best finish that you've ever had at a major tournament?
1: This is the best that I've done at a Grand Prix. Um, it's very close to what I've gotten at a Pro Tour as well, um, but 15th I think would be the highest placing at an event this large.
0: Wow, what's your best Pro Tour finish?
1: I got 17th at Pro Tour
2: Barcelona. I was going. Okay, I guess the, the last question I have really is, moving forward, are there any changes you'd make to the deck?
1: Um, I thought about this question right after I finished, you know, because everything was fresh in my head from the two tournament days. Uh, I could not think of a single card that I wanted to shrink in numbers or increase in numbers from my main deck. And the only thing I knew that I really wanted was adding an extra diggers Cage to the sideboard. And Nature's Claim didn't really hit that many things for me though it's sweet to have in the board you know for unknown stuff so i'm da- i'm now down to two nature's claims and i'm up to two graph diggers cages so that's the only change so far so I- i'm not really sure with nature's claim like I-, I think it's cool being in there and it-, it solves some problems you know stony silence blood Moon, but it- it's not the best card in the sideboard i'll say that much
2: got it yeah i, I guess Thank stony you. silence is definitely one of the cards that really hurts your deck to a yep. certain extent and and that's a good uh, yeah i guess i guess if i were to play this deck i definitely look for a field that affinity would have been semi-strong because the hate for both of those decks are probably so similar
1: yeah it's a good point uh okay so the thing with affinity hate is it doesn't really affect this deck as much as you would think because of the spouse guides and the welding jars this the only way that affinity hate is going to hit you is if they have it in large quantities. If they just have, you know, two grudges and maybe three Abrupt Decays, that's not enough. They need more. You need about 10, 10 to 12 cards
2: to really make an impact.
1: Because the chance...
2: They, they can't draw them is the problem. Oh, true. Okay. They, they have to have enough to make sure that in their opening hand they're able to actually get their hands on it. Right, and even then it may not be safe because I play with
1: Inquisitions and Duresses and right. the Surgicals can get things, so it's really tough. So them, like, them, like
0: uh, uh, playing Stony Silence on turn two against you, like, you almost don't even care because you, you just have ways to get rid of it?
1: Uh, it does not have that many ways to get rid of it. The only way are the two main deck abrupt the case.
2: It's it's, right. it's more the other way around where, the due to the fact that the deck can lock a player out, them getting Stony Silence in their opening hand is their only way they're able to... Right, right. So- Consider if if you are playing against my deck, right, and your opening hand has
1: a Stony Silence in it, it's got some sweet lands, it's got a goyth and maybe another threat or two, uh, you keep that hand. And so you keep it, and then I Inquisition or I Duress you, you lose Stony Silence. What are the odds that you're going to draw another one within two to three turns? Not very likely, because your deck still has 50 cards in it. And then if I follow up with turn two Lantern and Shredder, you're not going to draw Stony Silence ever. So that's one of the really big strengths of the deck is it's very resistant to sideboard.
2: Well, Not to mention decks that normally are using Stony Silence usually don't, other than maybe Abzan, don't have a lot of ways to answer in Snaring Bridge as well. So yes, right. they might play Stony Silence, but if you get a bridge and you just empty your hand out, it's not like Stony Silence stops you from playing your artifact spells. It just means that they right. you can't activate them. So it, you just have to wait them out from that point on. And then maybe you draw your Abrupt Decay or your you know Surgicals or some other answer to that card.
0: Have you ever thought about the mirror? What would happen if you had to play against this deck? All
2: right,
1: so so I thought about the mirror before going to the tournament, only because I knew that some of my friends were going and they were playing my same deck, and that's what, like, right. three people, 2,800? I knew it wasn't going to happen. So I thought about it, and I tried to think of how to fight that, and I couldn't come up with a realistic way because I've never actually played it. Um, I've thought about it some more because now that this deck is growing in popularity and I plan to run it in a few more tournaments, I guess that i may have to play the mirror once or twice and i still don't really know what to do because i haven't done it yet so no advice there (laughs) seems like super it seems like
0: super weird and like kind of like intimidating just the the concept of like the the mill triggers and like who's milling when and like i just it just makes my head hurt to even think about
2: i almost want to i almost want to say ghost quarter is your most important card at that point
1: it, it's probably helpful, but if you think Ghost Quarter because of Academy Runes, Academy Runes has no effect in the mirror because you can just mill whatever card they put back. It, it's really hard to think about what, yeah, what what's important and what's not, because the deck, when you look at it, it's just a pile of trash cards that together kill you really, really consistently. And so I'm not really
2: sure what you aim to hit. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it just, sounds, it just sounds
0: crazy.
2: Okay, so that's kind, of, that's kind of it from us. Do you have anything else you want to say about the deck or the experience at GP Charlotte or any other interesting stories?
1: Well, I'm glad to see that people are enjoying that this deck exists and they're looking at it. I hope that some people attempt to play it because, in my opinion, it's the hardest deck that I you know, could conceive playing since you kind of have to know every single deck you're going to play against and how they want to kill you. And the number of choices you have to make and when you decide to do things is so incredibly important. So this deck will probably teach you to be a better magic player at the cost of your opponents hating you. But um, (laughs) it's definitely a unique way to play magic. I'll say that. It definitely seems like
2: the most competitive prison deck that's come out of Modern so far. I've seen a few other ones. Like there's an Enchantress list. But this one seems, I mean, and based off of your finish, has proven to be probably the strongest lockout deck and it may be the answer a lot of people were asking for of like there has been a lot of people saying there's no control deck in the format and this is kind of maybe the deck they've been looking for
1: yep I I, i was a little bummed at my two losses because the two actual losses i got i could have won both of those matches if i had just thought through what was going on but i i actually just punted both of those matches away so the yeah, it does seem it. The, way,
0: the, the way you describe it it seems very hard to lose so yeah maybe, maybe this is nice. a deck i'll try out it's definitely weird enough
2: yeah give it a shot oh we will uh great well thanks for coming on is there any good what, what's the best way to reach you uh, do you want to shout out your twitter um etc
1: oh yeah you can uh reach me on twitter which is at utd um that would be zac so only six characters long
2: great all right, all right. thanks very much for coming on uh So yeah, that was awesome. Uh, Thanks to Zach for coming on. Uh, You know, as always, the podcast wrapping out. But uh, follow us on Twitter. Um, We are at the MM Cast.
0: Yeah, I'm at Ben Bateman Media on Twitter, Instagram, and occasionally Periscope.
2: I am at Kess Wiley. Something cool that we didn't mention. um, This uh, tomorrow, we uh, I'm playing at least in the the store we go to is doing a only modern. block tournament and so on twitter i asked everyone because i like was lazy modern to
0: modern masters modern masters one and two block
2: you right yeah, yeah yeah correct so only cards from either the first or second modern Masters set and basic lands and so i asked all of our followers because i was lazy and didn't want to like come up with my own idea for playing the <laughs> tournament uh what people thought would be the best deck in the format um steve cahill at negative one uh that's one like i win but past tense uh, said artifacts, uh, I, which I, I did a little testing on on decked, and I, I don't know, and I think more testing is needed. I do think it's probably the most powerful, but to find the exact list sounds hard. Austin Bach at Bach Wiz said Swan's Wildfire combo, which sounds super sweet. Uh,
0: that sounds real sweet. yeah. yeah. I, think,
2: I think that's that's that with fairies are maybe the two that I'm thinking about doing. Uh, Jack Herbanus at Jack Herbanus. Uh, Blue Black fairies all day. Eric, Yeah, that seems, that
0: seems super sweet. Yeah,
2: but it, most of the cards are there for fairies. Like, the, other than, uh, what's it called, that taps on all their lands at the beginning of their turn, every other card's in the format. Um, Jack Herbanus, uh, blue, oh, no, we just did that one, sorry. Uh, er, at Eric Linden, I assume five-color green is pretty sick. Uh, yeah, probably, it, it, what would come down to there for me is, like, the land mana fixing is pretty bad. And so it's picking which cards you need, and it's really going to be very green-based. And then at Riley Jones, uh, green white tokens could be cool. I don't know what cards you'd play, and it's not super aggressive on the low end. I feel like it might be a better draft format.
0: It seems fine. I guess. I guess also because like you can play Hierarch, which means like without Lightning Bolt, you just can start to like get way way ahead on the game super True. fast. Oh well, True. except your fixing's not that good, right? To hit, to hit to like tr- like green and triple white.
2: Yeah, it's it's it's. The actual mana, like land, is pretty horrendous, though. Right, because there's no, more no fetches. There's no fetches. There's no shocks. There's no untapped lands that solve mana problems. There's not a single one. It's only you have double lands and you have the like, uh, the lands that come up with counters and you can remove a counter to make any mana. The sh- the like vivid shoal. the vivid lands. That's oh, the
0: vivid lands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You probably just want to go like colored in that case, Monocolored or like. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Green, yeah, green. I take that back. Green my Tokens and Spectral Possession and, and Hierarch, that seems really rough without oh, any duels.
2: Right. I mean, Affinity seems like what the strongest... Well, okay, moving on. Not important. Not a real format. <laughs> but I'll have fun yeah. tomorrow trying to play it. Uh... Um, so yeah, follow us on Twitter. Uh, thanks for messaging us. Um, also, I want to remind people, we have an email. It's uh, themmcast at rocketjump.com. I've been actually getting a few there, and I've been we'll, we'll like directly have full conversations with you that are above the 140-character limit. Um, and maybe I'll start reading. If we get enough this week, maybe I'll start reading out some people's messages. So if you want us to have like a long thing we read out to the internet, There's this is the time to email us. So that's uh, themmcast at rocketjump.com. Um yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to
0: add really quickly. You know, I played in two PPTQs this last weekend with my sweet deck that I love, my uh, Superior Burning Cocoa, and I also was in Vegas two you know two weeks ago. And um, I've run into a lot of you guys. I've met I've met like ten or twelve you know listeners who who have conversations about the decks we talk about. And um, it's really really special. It's really really a lot of fun. It it makes doing this podcast for me like of all of the media work that I do. This is probably my favorite now because. I love Magic so much, and the feedback I get from you guys when I meet you about the things we talk about, our ideas, or even just the tweets we get sometimes, it really, truly is awesome. So please keep doing it. I encourage any and everybody to, you know, tweet at us. If, if you ever see one of us at a tournament, please strike up a conversation because it's, like, the greatest thing in the world to meet somebody who actually listens to us do this. Right. For me.
2: Oh, yeah. No, I agree. I mean, it's it's – we hope we're doing this for you guys. So we hope you guys enjoy it and we enjoy making it for you guys. And you know, the more we interact, the happier we are. And I think you guys enjoy it. So let's keep moving down that path. Um, All right. So that's everything from us. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you for your
1: attention.
2: For further inquiries, send an email to the MM at rocketjump.com.
0: See you later. Alligator.